at the end of it, it says, the woman would supply what the man was lacking in the design of creation, and logically it would follow that the man would supply what she was lacking. So here's what the helper does. They bring something to the table that the original did not have. You bring something to the table that I don't have. Oh, and likewise you for me, right? Absolutely. And you... All right, so we are uh, joining uh, you folks from the studio. We've got our producer, Todd, here, and this is our last uh, podcast of 2021. We made it. We survived 2021. So we're, we're all happy about this, but we, we got a few more days left. Well, we'll get through it. Absolutely. So to... Today, we're going to be touching base and, and just talking through this concept of gender roles. And I think that this carries a lot of baggage for a lot of Christians, for a lot of churches, depending on the church traditions that you're coming out of. And I know that for myself, I had this really funny conversation a few summers ago where I sat down with this woman um, who was engaged, wonderful lady fiance, really wonderful guy. And um, in talking through things, perhaps she was trying to sound more spiritual to me. Perhaps she was trying to say, I'm on a good course for things and how things are going right now. But she said, Jennifer, we want a biblical marriage. And sounds like a good idea. I mean, that's, we encourage that, right? Well, it depends on what you mean by that, right? What are you talking about? I mean, we, we're, this is a Christian podcast. It should be biblical. That's what we're trying to do, right? We're tr- a thriving marriage is a biblical marriage, right? But what kind of marriage? Let's talk about examples of this. So are we talking uh, about Abraham and Sarah and Abraham is lying? Wait, wait, wait. Abraham, Abraham is great, right? He's the father of Judah. He, he was the first one. He got the promise from God. He should have this locked in, right? No, he's not the perfect one, right? Just like we're not perfect. So the way that it works out, Abraham was lying to other people, saying Sarah was his sister, almost married her off, and that caused a lot of turmoil. And we discourage that, by the way. Don't try to marry off your wife. And, and you stick- haven't done that to me yet, so I appreciate that. So are we dealing with je- jealous sisterly polygamy? At its best or worst, depending on how you're looking at this, this is Rachel and Leah with Jacob and all of that drama that looks like it could be a reality show in 2021 on on some sort of a cable network or a streaming service. Um, So no, you don't want those kinds of biblical marriages, uh, if you will. But I've also noticed that sometimes people will say, well, I want a biblical marriage. And the subtext of that really means, well, we're not having sex before we got married. So good on you. That, that's a good thing to hold on to and to uh, not have happen before you get married. But I think um, that's an important point to bring up right now. You bring up this mm-hmm. idea, you know, okay, we, we were pure before marriage. And that's a lot of, we've talked about this before, a lot of churches really focus on that purity and to the point, though, that it gets elevated, hey, if we can pull off this one thing, then we're good to go. But that's the bare minimum standard. That's not thriving. That's just meeting the basics, right? But what I'd say to that, too, is God is a God of 
the do-overs, the start-overs, the redemption. So even if people are making those kinds of mistakes before they get married, Jesus is here to redeem it all, which is a fantastic kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the same time, I mean, you want a thriving marriage, it's more than just, oh, we we followed these rules and really getting into gender roles and this idea of biblical marriage, what are the biblical gender roles? It gets really interesting, and we'll talk about that some more. We'll get into Ephesians, where they really tie into those gender roles. A lot of the couples, when we've done the premarital, they'll get and say, hey, we want this biblical marriage, and we want to be able to have this experience. And so then we ask, okay, so how are you going to manage things in the house? This is a big deal when you first get married. And those of you who are married listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. You've been living either, if it was like Jen and I, we were living with our parents for all through this until, I mean, we were in college and things, but we, our first home outside of our parents' home was together. Mm -hmm. And so we had these things, but a lot of people now, they're starting their lives as singles and they have their own house. They have an apartment. They have all this stuff figured out about how, how the dishes are done, how the laundry is done. They've got all of their chores, all their routines together. Then you come together and we talk to these couples like, oh, we'll just do everything together. And that's, I I appreciate the idea of, hey, there's no one greater than the other, but we've tried to do dishes together and we both appreciate that we're both willing to do the chore, but we bump into each other. It's just, (laughs) you can't, you can't both be doing the same thing. And we're not going to buy two dishwashers. We're not going to buy two mops. You know, there's just limited resources on how we're going to do these chores together. But I'd say for some of that, too, is sometimes it's trial and error just as to what what's going to work the best when you, you first get married. And it's okay to take time to figure out what that's going to be. A hundred percent. But we've got to break this idea that it's just, oh, we'll do everything because usually what happens is if everyone is responsible, no one's responsible. Why aren't the dishes done yet? Oh, I thought you were going to do it. I thought you were going to do it. There's this great book out there called The Case for Marriage, and they did a lot of research about the statistics of how marriage works, why marriage works. And they were even really focusing on the economic advantages that married couples have. And one of those advantages is division of labor. Just like in a corporation, you don't have one person doing all the tasks because then one person's getting overloaded and it slows down the process. One of the great things about marriage is, you. yes, there are two people dirtying dishes, and then when you add children, there's even more people dirtying dishes. Tell me about it, especially <laughs> during the lockdowns, or right? La- or laundry. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand how someone half my size can produce so much laundry, but they do. And division of labor, being able to say, okay, you've got this, I've got that. It's important to be able to say, okay, we're going to divide this up and we're going to be responsible for different things. But going back to what you were saying, sweetheart, what does the Bible say about that and what do gender roles in marriage really look like? Well, that's the thing. I could throw in a lot of dead air here right now, but I'm not going to because the Bible doesn't get into specific gender roles. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that society really dictates gender roles. And even right now in America, gender roles are going to be different than, say, gender roles are going to be in Uganda, just because our our cultures are different and societies are different. All of these people 
equally valuable in God's eyes, but that societal structure really steps in there to make those definitions of what those roles are. And it's not even cultures as different as like Uganda and the United States, even rural America versus urban America, there's different expectations of how things are done. Lifestyles are different. I mean, we're seeing that all the time with the culture clash we're dealing with politically in our country. And so these gender roles can be very different. Our marriage is very different from what a lot of people would think because you're the primary breadwinner. I mean, you spend more time working um, outside the home, working to earn an income than I do with your law practice. That's true. I spend a lot of time with our Operation Thriving Marriage ministry stuff. And of course, with my military things for six months, you were doing both working full-time and single mom while I was gone. Oh my goodness. But I I wouldn't say single mom because I knew you were coming back and I had your support, but I I absolutely hear you on that. I had to to step it up to make sure that kiddos were taken care of. Yeah. And that's key. You can have a thriving marriage and it will look very different from the marriages. Our marriage looks very different from every other marriage on our street because of career choices. I am more involved in our children's education than my dad was, not because he cared less, but because he worked outside the home more, where my mom was more involved in our education. But even then, when my sister was in school, both my parents were working, so neither of them were doing field trips or stuff. And we've been able to do that, and I tend to do more of those types of things just because scheduling. Gender roles are not defined so statically as a lot of people think. And it really comes to, I think, a lot of people with a misreading of Ephesians 5. Cue us up, yeah. Yeah, so Ephesians 5, the big verse that when it comes to gender roles that tends to really spark a lot of controversy, get people really angry, is 522. And so I'll just read it to you right now. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. That wives submit, I've seen more articles, more anger, more frustration about that one little word than I think most of the other things in the Bible. And I'd say anger really on both sides of it. You know, some, some women or some men are saying this wife isn't submitting enough and needs to toe the line. And the other side saying, you know, no, the the wife has to take on more of a role where she's certainly not going to be a doormat. People will use this, and there's other passages in Titus and 1 Peter that talk about these things, and people will use this as an idea of subservience, right? And so that's really where the argument comes in. But they're misreading in this particular text in Ephesians. First of all, in the Greek, when you read Ephesians 5, you know, 522, the word submit doesn't actually occur there in Greek. It actually, if you go back up earlier to 21, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So two people submitting together, and we'll get into um, what's going on earlier in that because it's important. That's the verb. So when you go down to wives submit, that verb is added in English translations because it doesn't work in English, but that verb doesn't actually exist. The translators are borrowing the earlier verb. So this whole argument where we've had culture wars and people screaming at each other is over a word that was added by translators because it's not even there in the Greek. But when you look at Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians, and really most of Paul's letters are not about 
prescribing rules and regulations for how you live your life. It's exhorting and encouraging us to be unified in the church. Uh, and then earlier, that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, all of that is about how to live wisely and how the church should have been living together. And I've had someone come up to me after we had ta- had a talk and had asked, well, okay, so who is the head of your household, Jen? Is it you? Is it Brian? I said, it's Jesus, because he's going to be our leader. He needs to be the leader in the household. He needs to be the leader in the church. And then the rest of us are submitting to him and we're then cooperating with each other. But I'd say that you're the one who is a leader in the household. I'm a leader in the household too, but I feel, Brian, that you're initiating a lot of things and you're taking the lead on a lot of things um, for a lot of decisions, but you, you can't tell me that I'm not substantially involved in a lot of those things. And sometimes it has to do with areas of specialty or, or expertise. And I've always liked the, the example of an incident that happened when we were looking to buy a house and I was talking with the realtor and I was talking with the title company about some paperwork for us to sign off on. And what I had told them was, listen, I'm the lawyer. I, I know what's going on with this. I'm ready to approve this. However, I want to run this by my husband first, not because he's a lawyer and because he can weigh into this more than me because the decision is effectively done, but I'm not going to run over Brian and not bounce this off of him and tell him this is why I think we should sign off on this and why this is a positive thing and not an issue. And roles should always be subservient to team. Team marriage is the key. We're in this together. And every person on the team is going to have a different role and choose your team. If it's a sports team, if it's a work team, whatever, teams work because everyone is doing something different towards the same goal. And so in our family, um, and every family is going to have to choose who is the one that has to have the responsibility to be, okay, we've deliberated this enough. This is the decision every team, every organization, and that's not a position of privilege or authority or power. It's a position of responsibility. And, and so, servanthood. And ser- Absolutely. And so at some point, someone has to say, we're done. This is the decision. And in our family, that, that's usually me. That's the one we mm-hmm. talk about it. You bet. And that's how it works for us. I would say, I think that that is the best reading of most of the biblical texts, but you've got to be careful. And I would never say that it's prescriptive. I'd say it's very descriptive because we've got to remember of what the society was at the time and what was going on. And remember that Paul wasn't giving these household instructions to create a constitution for the family, to create, okay, this is now how the family should be. He was describing family at that time in the context of we're now resurrection people. We're now kingdom people. Our loyalty is to Jesus, not to Zeus, not to the emperor, not to the temple in Jerusalem, because the temple is Jesus and the temple is now the church. We're loyal to Jesus and we've got to live like that. And starting with all these these household instructions, everything that Paul says, when you look at Ephesians 4, starting verse 1, it says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you've been called. We're supposed to live in a worthy manner. 
with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul's talking about the church, but that's what gender roles really need to be in a marriage. Gender roles need to be, how are we functioning with gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, humility, keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in our relationship. So what does that look like, though, in your mind? How does that look like in a marriage to live out that description that Paul gave us? Well, I'm going to tease a little bit here, Brian, and say uh, you're really good at bearing with me in love, right? Uh, that's, but I think, that's mutual. She puts up with a lot from me. <laughs> but I really think that when you're, every marriage needs to have it interjected into it, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, keeping that unity of spirit and, and that bond of peace to, to help us to stick together. And I think a lot of that is listening to what your spouse's concerns are, to what what their needs are, what their desires are, and to be able to, the way that I like to put it is in a given situation where a decision needs to be made, of course, we're following God, but in the options that we would have to follow God, what is the decision that is going to maximize the family moving forward, moving forward to follow God, just benefiting the family? We need to hear from each other because your perspective is unique to you. Your experience is who you are, and my experience is unique to me. And so when we're looking at this, we both bring something to the table that is valuable to the decision. And that's where a lot of misunderstandings about leadership, good leaders are good listeners. If you lead in any area and you don't listen to the people around you, you are failing the people that you lead flat out because you may have to make a decision. You may know things that they don't know. And so you've got to make a decision they disagree with perhaps, but you've got to listen. And an example, because we're talking about this, the argument is always gender roles, dominance, and authority. That's really where people get tied up. And that's why we're talking about this and why I talk so much about leadership and who makes decisions. But I would like to give an example of some people who are making really good decisions right now have recently made good decisions because they listen to their people. Like what? So Chief Bass, the Chief Master of the Air Force, shout out, you probably aren't listening to this, but if you are, thank you so much because we just in the Air Force received a new regulation about how our uniforms, how to wear our uniforms. And everything that changed in there really came from the airmen in the Air Force wanting something different. Things that me, the old crusty senior NCO, why are we doing this? I think this is stupid. I think it looks unprofessional. But Chief Bass, listening to the airmen, decided, her and her team decided, no, we're going to do this because I'm going to listen to the airmen and let them know that I hear about them and care about them. Hands in pockets. Forever, we haven't been allowed to keep our hands in our pockets when we're walking or when we're standing. Hands don't go in your pockets. Well, now we can. Walking with a cell phone. The rule has always been if you're going to talk to your cell phone, you stop, step off the sidewalk, finish your conversation, and then keep walking. Those are things that change, not necessarily because they're going to make us, the Air Force, fly jets better, but they're going to make the community better. Hey, these are the things the airmen want, and that's going to make us fly jets better. So that's the same way with us, right? When you're leading, when we're making decisions, we've got to hear from each other and then make decisions, even if it's like, 
that's not the decision I want to make or I would make, but I'm listening and we're going to make sure that everyone's involved and encouraged and we're all focused on growing more like Jesus. But what I also wanted to delve into a little bit more is what you had brought up a little bit ago, which is just talking about being domineering. And I think that if you've got a domineering wife or a domineering husband in a relationship, it's it's going to rip the couple apart and it's going to result in a bad marriage, if not a divorce, ultimately, that would happen. It's just not a healthy environment. And anything that Jesus would command of wives behave like this or husbands behave like that, a lot of those instructions, I see that as if you're going to be that people of Christ, it's across the board. Although those specific directions to a husband, to a wife have to be handled. But if the idea that someone would walk away with that is I'm going to be domineering and I'm going to be oppressive and unkind towards my spouse, that just doesn't jive with what the Bible says. Dominance is never okay. Being a good Christ follower, you cannot be a dominant, domineering person. Our example is Jesus. He showed up in the most humble way possible and died in the most embarrassing way possible at the time because he loved us so much. Everything we have comes from God giving of himself to us, and he doesn't get anything back. There's nothing that he gains from us. He gives everything out of love. God has the power to be dominant, and he's not. You know, Yes, he is supreme. Yes, he is sovereign, but his nature is to give and domineering and dominance is just not uh, the way Christians live. That's not what we do. And that doesn't matter what level of leadership, where you are um, in the church, outside the church. And this is the great thing we have, the opportunity we have as a couple. Because when we follow these household regulations that are these household rules that Paul puts out, we get to be an example to our church family and to our neighborhood, to our community, to our coworkers about what true loving and truly living in God's kingdom looks like. That's very much the case. And you look at the book of Titus very quickly. It, it talks about doing your duties and your roles that are supposed to be connected to the household And I would argue that that's going to be different between what the different households are and how you've structured how how chores would be taken care of. But again, whatever you're doing, you do that to the glory of God. And I think with a lot of things, you have to be somewhat liquid that things can change. Uh, Just that that kind of flex and flow if you have a spouse who's sick, if you have a spouse who's out of town due to deployment or otherwise, that you'd have to sometimes step up and, and fill out some duties, or maybe you're changing different duties just as uh, your marriage continues on and the household grows. Because sometimes when you're dealing with babies, you, you need to be doing laundry all the time. And that's just a fact. Yeah. So we've talked about kind of these household regulations and what it looks like in the home. Let's jump a little bit earlier in the Bible and talk about the nature of masculinity and femininity. Ooh, rolling back to Genesis? All the way. And we're probably going to, either side of the egalitarian and complementarian argument, we're probably going to make both mad. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with those theological terms, egalitarian at its most extreme is the idea that men and women created in the image of God are completely equal. There's no difference whatsoever. I know that's 
a thumbnail sketch. All of you egalitarian theologians, you can make fun of me later. That's the extreme side of it. On the extreme complementarian side is the difference, the coinciding differences between men and women. And they've taken that to the point where women belong in the home, belong doing the dishes, making the food, a lot of those traditional agrarian roles that women took on while the men were outside the home. So those are the extreme examples on this continuum. And we're not on either side of that totally, but we do want to talk about there is something about masculinity and femininity, and there are differences. Men and women aren't just biologically and physically different. And this is documented time and time again about how women perceive even something as simple as you see more colors than I do. And truth, we joke about this when we're picking paint colors and finally we just give up and you pick the paint color because I can't see the difference of the colors. (laughs) In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a a companion for him who corresponds to him. That companion who corresponds to him that is traditionally translated with the English word helper. And what's your reaction, Jen, when you hear that woman was created to be man's help? What's your initial reaction to hearing that? Well, I think it's about taking it in the context of of what the Bible is, right? Because God describes himself as a helper to people. And he's the CEO, the creator of the universe, but he's still there to be helpful to us as his children. I'm I'm there to help Jonathan, our 10-year-old, although sometimes I'm giving him way more help, which I'm and I'm sure that <laughs> that for a given task, and I'm sure that God is continually giving me more help in a given task than I'm even understanding. But I think that that's the thing where the woman was created not to be a slave or a complete servant of the man, but to be that corresponding helper. But he was already there, so I'm thinking he's there to be that corresponding helper for her as well under the lordship of of God. A lot of people have a problem with that word helper, though, right? You know, a lot of people feel that helper is, by definition, the way helper is thought of in our culture. They think of helper as being less than. Even how we use it in professional like teaching or um, environments, you've got the teacher's helper. You've got the teacher, and then you've got the teacher's helper. Right. The teacher's helper is important, but they can't do anything on their own. They only do what the teacher tells them. And that's not the intent, which I like. Why well, I like the NET um, translation better, because it translates that word, and for the Bible nerds, it's the word easer is the word used. And like Jen said, God uses that word to describe himself a lot in this um, Weezer, not a rock band, but sounds like it. Weezer did an awesome cover of Toto's Africa. Ezer is the word that God uses for helper. There's this article in uh, in Judaica, Judaica 1986 by um, Rosenzweig. I apologize, sir, if I totally brutalized your name. But at the end of it, it says, the woman would supply what the man was lacking in the design of creation and logically it would follow that the man would supply what she was lacking, although it is not stated here. So here's what the helper does. They bring something to the table that the original did not have. So you bring something to the table that I don't have. You know, your intellect, your way of doing things, you bring something to our marriage and something to me that was lacking. 
Oh, and likewise you for me, right? Absolutely. And you, you are the one who's structured. You're the one who's planning and organizing and gets very specific. And you are also really good at making sure we're accomplishing something as a family, that we're moving forward, that we're doing something, that we're being responsible. That's very true. Although looking at the top of my desk or the organizational thing would say otherwise, but that's very true. We like to be regimented in some of these things and make sure that that's good to go for the family. And I'm the one that's going to bring spontaneity. Always. I'm the one that's going to, let's go play. This is just, let's go do something crazy. And then you look at me, it's like, okay, that's really crazy. And then I convince you to do the crazy thing with me. This is true, but I'm I'm checking the funds to make sure we can facilitate the crazy. Yeah, like buying my beautiful 55-gallon saltwater aquarium that I enjoy. Oh, that's that's another (laughs) podcast episode altogether, babe. But then also, at the same time, when it comes to discipline, I'm more comfortable in the role of, okay, now we're going to enforce the discipline with the children. Not that you don't, you discipline the children, but I'm more comfortable in that role. And as parents, as a team, I'm the one who oftentimes is bringing the, okay, now we're going to do this. You're the one making sure our family structure and everything. But when it comes down to, I, one of us has to get control of the children a little bit more and communicate discipline and enforce um, those consequences. I'm my temperament. I'm more comfortable with that. That's very true. Also, we need to leave room to say, we're talking about our marriage and this is how we've worked it out. But there are so many different people, different talents and in their marriages where they can be very, very successful in their marriages, even though they're very different. And Brian was kind of looking at me because I was Googling on my cell phone. Not that you can see us because this is a podcast, but anyway. Right. But Brian's looking at me (laughs) weird because I'm Googling on my cell phone, Ralph Lauren. He's like, gosh, are you shopping while we're recording this podcast? But I was looking up Ralph Lauren personally because a lot of times people will think of women as being very fashion forward, but he's a very successful designer. So he might have more of that eye for color than I'm going to have. Even as a woman, he's been married since 1964 and he and his wife have three children together. So even though he's not necessarily in a stereotypical industry that being led by men, he certainly is a man who has the lead in that particular company and has been very successful at that. And I'd be interested to peek into how his family is because, again, happily married since 1964. Yeah, that's interesting. And you make a good point. We share illustrations from our marriage because that's the marriage we know best. But it's definitely mm-hmm. there are things that are moving and it's different for your marriage. And we don't want to ever say, your marriage should be like our marriage because it absolutely shouldn't because you're not us. But at the same time, we do want to say that you complement each other. Whatever that is. You bring something to your spouse that they need and Mm -hmm. your spouse brings something to you that you need. And it's very unique to your relationship, but it's important that you acknowledge that and are ready to work in that and Sometimes it's going to be clear from, hey, this is what things look like in the Bible. Sometimes you're going to look at things and look at society. Again, an Asian family versus a North American family's structure is going to be different because the culture is different. That's okay. Different How, parts of the world, are, it's, it's going to be different. You need to define those roles and you need to allow yourselves and each other to be complements to each other. That's really where it comes down to in gender roles. It's not... 
the woman will do this, the man will do this. There are uniquenesses, there are differences where they complement each other, but you need to define what your roles are and you need to work to complement each other. If you want to thrive as a couple, it can't be competition, it can't be dominance, it can't be my way or the highway, and it can't be one of those situations where you know, we teach our kids when they're playing games, when you've got it, you, you, I got it, I got it, I got it. You cannot be out there. You get it, you get it, you get it. You've got to work together. Hey, I'm going to use a baseball analogy here. You're in center field. I'm in right field. If it's in right field, I got it. If it's in center field, then I don't have to tell you you got it because you're going to be yelling at me. I got it, I got it, mm-hmm. I got it. And we got to fill those gaps together. And there will be conflict. There's going to be times where you disagree on what it is, especially early on in marriage when you're just learning how to live together. There's going to be conflicts, but also every phase when things change, there's going to be conflict. True. And so you've got to work that conflict out together and be comfortable discussing that and then building that relationship, identifying those roles, complementing each other, then you can move forward together as a couple. Thank you for joining us on the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast. We want to be a part of God's plan for marriages to thrive around the world, and you can help us do that by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on whatever service you use. As an added bonus, if you subscribe or review, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free copy of our book, Operation Thriving Marriage. You'll get an additional entry into the drawing if you share your thoughts on social media about the podcast with the hashtag Operation Thriving Marriage. We have another opportunity for you to help your marriage thrive. We are hosting a special intensive marriage retreat at the beautiful Richard Bush Renewal Center in mid-Michigan. This is an opportunity for us to spend time with you personally, developing the skills that will help your marriage thrive. We'll talk about enhancing communication skills, conflict resolution, and building intimacy in your marriage. As an added bonus, podcast listeners will receive a 10% discount. All you have to do is mention the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast when you register. This retreat is limited to only nine couples, so make sure you register soon. For more information, contact us at our website, operationthrivingmarriage.com. We look forward to meeting you in person.